Isa. I worked the rigs from three to midnight on the Corpus Christi Bay. I get off and drink till daylight. Hey, welcome back in to the West Sweet Texas Accessory Depot away. Studios. Go see the folks at Accessory Depot on 82nd and Valencia and Lubbock for all your car or truck accessory needs. And get this, other side listeners can get a free row of WeatherTech liners with the purchase of a bed cover. Call them, 806-866-9494. WTAccessoryDepot.com want to start today with the other side of an issue. Columbine, Thurston, Sandy Hook, Townville, Marshall County, Parkland, Florida. We've seen all of these play out now, and we still don't have answers. Now, where we should get answers from is from the federal level, the Federal Bureau of Investigation. But even then, we've got to look at issues like where that bureau came up short, 9-11, Boston Marathon, Miami Nightclub, Fort Hood, San Bernardino, even Stephen Paddock, Las Vegas, Larry Nasser. you could throw that him in there as well. And now we have Nicholas Cruz, who was widely known in the Parkland community to be a quote-unquote outcast uh, on social media brandishing weapons. 23 calls made to the sheriff's office about Nicholas Cruz. Now, in looking for solutions, I think that there are a couple of good opportunities out there, and one has come from the Texas legislature, a program to train in arms what they called school marshals, quote-unquote, teachers and coaches and principals, maybe janitors who are ready to defend the school, when and if tragedy breaks out, districts could participate in designating marshals who would undergo background check and active shooter training, but and always be a secret force. Um, kind of based on the whole concept of flight marshals, secret flight marshals. But that got me to thinking about another solution that we might have out there that could combine with these school marshals. And it's a modest proposal that I think might help eliminate the horror that is these school shootings. And that would be, just stick with me, a relationship marshal. I said a relationship marshal. What is that? Well, it's, let me explain it this way. It seems to me that instead of engaging in another tired gun control debate... Uh, proposals to spend bukus of money on what's essentially going to be a new TSA in every school in the country. Uh, we should address another common denominator in all this, besides AR-15s. There's another common denominator in all these tragedies, and it's that the culprit, by and large, is a kid who was sad, got mad, and then turned bad. And maybe it's the old youth minister in me. But a reasonable proposal, and I think anything at this point that mitigates and helps eliminate mass murders of children is reasonable, would be if we took a young life type person and let them roam over a school's campus and engage kids who are falling between the cracks. Now, a young life type person, if you're not familiar, Young Life is a Christian organization Uh, It's a parachurch organization, meaning it doesn't have affiliation with any particular denomination 
or church group, and they try to be incarnational with kids. That is, they try to grab kids' hands and walk them down the path of adolescence. It can be a pretty difficult path with all sorts of obstacles. and just Especially nowadays, gosh. Yeah, well, and I think it's been difficult right. to help these kids go through adolescence with somebody that they can lean on. Somebody who's in college, a little bit older than college, maybe they're in their 30s or 40s. But, you know, I've, I grew up with a bunch of Young Life guys and went to college with Young Life guys and was somewhat associated with it. But what they essentially do is just laugh kids to Jesus. The kids will be involved in these great skits and characters and games like Muck Wars. You ever been a part of a Muck War? I don't know sister? what that is. I mean, if you're 16 and you hear Muck War, you're like, I'm interested. <laughs> what What's that? And what they do is they take these big 50-gallon trash cans and fill it with dog food and sour milk and, yeah, I see that face, and, and mayonnaise and mustard and all sorts of condiments and good fruit, rancid fruit, pickles, I mean, anything that you can think of. And they put them in these big containers and go out to a field mm -hmm. and have a big muck war. Golly. And it's a, but it's things oh like gosh. that constantly. Now, <laughs> back to the point. A young life type person on these campuses. And they wouldn't need piles of certificates. Just the know-how to be relational with kids. To turn frowns and downward spiraling hearts upside down. Now, I've worked with kids and I'm no expert. But I have had experience with kids, and kids who have confessed with no small amount of shame that they thought about being a school shooter at one time. It's crazy as that term is in the American vernacular, and it certainly was during that time. That's 10, 15 years ago. Yeah. But they had thought about being a school shooter, and, and I only heard those confessions after they'd come a long ways down the road. And they were willing to get that, that shame out right. and, and name it. And, you know, here's the deal is that it sounds counterintuitive, but hot water freezes faster than lukewarm water. And these kids, once you crack them, you get them to crack a smile, once you get them to just give you a modicum of trust, then they do turn around a lot of times. I've seen it firsthand. And that has a lot more to do with supernatural realities than anybody wants to give credit, right. but they do. In our school district, in Lubbock Independent School District, and they assign an assistant principal, an attendance clerk, and a counselor to each kid. But from there, these three school officials collaborate on the progress or digression of kids. And there are other programs too, but my point here is this. Before jumping into the trenches of an entrenched gun debate and installing TSAs at schools, why not give these th people who are working in teams of three on one kid one more resource who can go to that kid on that kid's terms and laugh and throw balls and ride boards and sit knee to knee and eye to eye with them. And people who sign up to set sail and arrive at the shores of young legions and this Nicholas Cruz by all indication was a legion he was stuck in his head and he believed in a reality that was was a horrifying reality once it played out it could be argued by some people 
that, well, it's not the job of schools to help heal hurting kids. It is. I think, I mean, I think it, they play a part in it. Well, well, you'll hear people say that. And, you know, that's a home situation that needs to be addressed at home. And to the utilitarian, that argument would make sense. You know what else isn't the job of schools? To clean up the blood of mass murders. That's right. also not Absolutely. the job of schools. And for better or for worse, public schools are the best representation of a society's condition. And if you think about our society, who do we follow? I mean, think about the TV shows that we watch. The Sopranos, Game of Thrones, Breaking Bad, characters that are dark. Yeah. Now kind of guide American entertainment. It's a sick culture. And on top of that, this is my big takeaway from working with kids for so long is that in america we have a problem with spiritual constipation right now we take everything in and we don't eliminate everything's okay there's nothing that's wrong you be you you do you and kids get sick over time when that's all they're led to believe right because they're not have you seen that commercial about Britta? And it, it's real quick. And it's Steph Curry, and he's like, filter out the bad. Yeah. Stay. You've seen that commercial, exactly. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But we don't eliminate anything. And then you add brokenness at home on top of that, and it's impossible to keep culture and home problems out of schools. It's just simply impossible. And I realize that I'm using Christian analogies and proposing a Christian parachurch organization here, but I'm not proposing proselytizing. People have motivations for what they do. Every time you meet a counselor, it's always interesting because they have a story to tell. Lots of teachers have. People who are in the people service business have stories to tell about why they're there. And you cannot discriminate based upon motivation. But I'm not proposing at all proselytizing. What I am advocating 100% is that we need to mend kids who are quickly arriving at a place psychologically wherein shooting other kids and teachers makes complete sense. And if you think, well, you know, Jay, this, this is a stupid proposal, relational marshals, well, you, do you have a better proposal? And to the atheist who's bound and determined to fight any sort of if this were ever taken up as a serious policy decision they would fight it on the grounds of separation of church and state well guess what you can't separate church from state outside of the walls of government okay it's impossible to completely separate the two and so it is also impossible to separate culture from kids or home problems with kids and and i i would invite a different proposal now A Young Life staffer whose sole job is to roam and rove over high school campuses and just to love on kids. That sounds pretty good to me. And it wouldn't eliminate all the possibilities of tragedy, but it would certainly mitigate them to some extent. And this isn't to imply at all. Please don't hear me say groups like community and schools or or youth ministries or churches or even teachers and coaches and principals and other staff aren't doing fine job there's just so many of them let's get one person and that's their full job is to look for these kids because the writing was certainly on the wall when nicholas cruz and on several different levels it was never addressed a young life guy 
or a gal might could catch it probably could catch it and as a taxpayer I'd be on board with such a proposal as a father I'm even more so on with that proposal I'm not for arming I'll just say this public I'm not for arming every teacher I, I think that that's that, not yeah. reasonable and I just remember my some of my coaches in, in a little school that just came in and out a year at a time a two at a time uh, some of those people were not people that I would want my children to be around if they were armed. Right. No, I totally agree. Yeah. So that's how we're going to kick off the program today. How about a relationship marshal? Ross Ramsey's coming up, the executive editor of the Texas Tribune, breaking down all the hot races in Texas, what we can look forward to over the next week as we head into the March 6th primary. And then I'm really looking forward to talking with Jim and Barbara Miles, who live in Leon County, just north of Houston, south of Dallas. They have a ranch, but a ranch that could have a high-speed bullet train go through it. That's right. The proposal would take away their ranch. We want to hear straight from them because we want to give voice to the other side of Texas. You stick with us. We'll be right back. we got some news to get into. Hey, this segment's brought to you by Racer Car Wash, voted Lubbock's best wash for five years running. Stop in at one of five convenient locations across Hub City for the best wash around, guaranteed. See more at racerwash.com. Well, it's that time. It's time for some news, little sister. What do you say? Absolutely. Let's go for it. What, so, what headlines you got for So us? a couple of things that I wanted to kind of address is, well, so the closing ceremony of the Olympics last night. What did you think about that? Wait, the Olympics has started? <laughs> I know. I know. It went, felt like it went by so quickly. I was like, I asked my roommate last night, is it really over already? Well, I don't, you know, I read something today where I think uh, the Russian Olympics, Sochi Olympics were an all-time low, and then this round was even lower, like 10% wow, really? lower in, in ratings. Wow, yeah. that's crazy. So, I say, is it over in jest, but I think a lot of people would say, wait, there were the Olympics? Yeah. I just no, not, I I do, I, if we had like a super hockey team, yeah, not, the NHL not being involved, I mean, that's a problem. But anyway, go ahead. Well, so yeah, so the opening, I mean, I thought it was pretty cool, the closing ceremony, though. You um, watched it? I, I watched some of you it. You watched the flame go out? Uh, well, not... Did you cry? N- no. Okay. Um, but I thought I don't they did you. a really good job. Um, the, commenta- the, the commentator was not that great, though. No. But anyway, anyway, the next... They really miss Matt Lauer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so, and then this weekend, Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick listed Senate candidates he's endorsed in mm. an email that he sent out to supporters. Was I on there? I didn't see it. No. I didn't get to see the email. I looked for it. I'm I, not think necessarily Patrick a Patrick would, supporter. I think Patrick would endorse gout over me. <laughs> but go ahead. Yeah, so anyway, it didn't include the Amarillo State Senator, Cal Seliger, or any of his opponents. Mm. That's not surprising. 
I mean, if you look at it. I mean, what do you think he's trying to do? Well, I think what he's up to is a runoff election is what he's up to. And, you know, let me just preface all this by saying what's already been reported. Patrick's campaign consultant is running uh, Victor Leal, who's out of the panhandle. Uh, He's running Leal's campaign. We talked about this on the show previously, but for people who are just listening, uh, he's running Leal's campaign. So this is how it works. If if he, Mike Cannon, is also running that race, a former mayor of Midland, if if he endorses Cannon, then people are like, see, the jig is up. That's what it's about. Leal's supposed to take votes away from Seliger up top. And then Cannon's going to get a lot more support down in Midland, supposedly, with the lieutenant governor yeah. signing up. Now, if he if he endorses Leal, then he peels votes from Cannon. And then Seliger could maybe win the initial primary but he without a runoff. Cannon. Without a runoff. No, he's not endorsed. He's, he's not endorsed. Yeah, him. that's what you just said. There's no, he's not endorsed. And I'm just explaining why I think he's not. Yeah. Because if he does canon, then everybody says, yeah, see, Leal. And then if he endorses Leal, then it peels votes away from canon for Leal. And Seliger walks away without a runoff. And I think you will see the lieutenant. I'm, my bet is that you will see the lieutenant governor endorse in, depending on how it goes, actually. Depending on how, if, if the teachers turn out and exit polls are very strongly indicating that the lieutenant governor needs to move then i think he may back off of that runoff if there is to be a runoff and and not want to get crossed any further with seliger because yeah. he's got to deal with seliger once seliger gets back down there or he may go all in we'll see you got anything else uh yeah so speaking of consultants early voting is underway for lubbock county state and county positions according to other side sources there are some very questionable statewide pollsters and consultants involved in county races yeah i've, I've heard this a lot over the last week you know whenever you watch lonesome dove and even from the very beginning whenever jake spoon walks in you're I like don't know yeah, what oh, that is Lord, you've got homework <laughs> But you just kind of get this feeling. Well, that's that's when a couple of these consultants, one consultant, and I'm not going to give him the opportunity to have his name read on air, but he works a lot with the Empower Texans Network. And I'll tell you, one thing that you hear a lot about is that the county commissioners are having to deal with Loop 88 right now. I'm getting into the Lubbock weeds, but having to put forward money into Loop 88, and people are wondering, you know, how can we do that in another project? The other project is the road in front of Cooper High School and expanding it. And I think that that project, I've heard, is around $14 million, 14 to $17 million. Wow. And it's just a two-lane highway right now. I think the commissioners feel like the state senator, who's traditionally fixed that down in Austin through TxDOT, ought to do it in front of Cooper as well. So we'll see how all that plays out. Let's go to the phone lines. Our friend Leonard T. Jenkins. How are you, buddy? <laughs> oh, hey, Jay. How are you? Hey, it's all great today. I'm having a great day. Have it you been down great. to the have you been down to the gin today? Do you put uh, bourbon you put bourbon in the coffee at the gin? No. I thought you asked me if I've been to the gym today and the answer is definitively no. Negative. Negative ghost well, rider. Well, what's going I'm push, on? I'm I'm pushing maximum density right now, and it, <laughs> you know, when you were talking about that muck war earlier with the dog food and the cat food and the mustard and the mayonnaise and kids throwing it on each other, yeah, that, rem- 
It reminded me of a old Belveda's casserole that I had last night. <laughs> I tell you, she's a good woman, but she can't cook worth a lick. I hope Miss Jenkins isn't listening. Nah, she don't listen much. <laughs> well, what have you been? What have you been thinking about there, Leonard T? Well, all sorts of things. You know, you started talking about spiritual constipation earlier, and I, I mean, I know a thing or two about constipation, and I like to think that I've been spiritual from time to time. But you really. You really know how to get me thinking, Jay, and I'm grateful for that here on the other side of Texas. But, you know, when I'm between uh, between uh, cotton gigs, um, I dabble. And I've mentioned to you I dabble in uh, some bean farming and some yeah. other things, supplying cotton for aspirin companies and their bottles. Yeah. Uh, but I have been fascinated uh, for the last couple of months with uh, cryptocurrencies. And, you know, you don't hear a lot of people talking about cryptocurrencies here in West Texas because it it's kind of sounds like it's from outer space or something. Cryptocurrencies. <laughs> That's right. Bitcoin, Ethereum. And I want to give a... What? I want to give a... Ethereum? A, listen, everybody thinks of cryptocurrency. They just think that Bitcoin is all there is. But there are literally hundreds of cryptocurrencies out there that are just trying to get momentum and gain steam. And a lot of people think that one day... Uh, the U.S. dollar and banks aren't going to be worth a flip, and the cryptocurrency scene is going to be where it's at. And you're going to be uh, a pioneer, Leonard T. I'm going I'm to be on that freight train. Uh, granted, not a bullet train through somebody's ranch, but a freight train. <laughs> so tell me, are you, uh, like, have you literally bet the farm on this? Have you, have you, empty, I've, I've heard of people who've put everything towards this. Yeah, I tell you, I have put a great deal towards it. Um, you know, we got a little bit saved up in nest egg, and we travel light in the Jayco J flight. But um, so I put some money. But there's a new cryptocurrency out there called Electronium, and it's uh, it's backed by the British. And you know, I like the British because they talk fun, and they got the Wimbledon, and and they got all that stuff out there. The Wimbledon, it's, it is a big yeah. feature. Yeah. See so- now nowadays, Bitcoin. You can't hardly buy a Bitcoin. It costs you ten thousand dollars. But you can get you can get an uh, an electronium coin for about seven cents, hmm. and and one day, mark my words, Jay, about three years from now, I'm going to be a gazillionaire, and you're going to be sitting there scratching your butt talking on the radio, wondering why you didn't go shopping with Leonard T. Jenkins on the electronium British bandwagon. Well, I tell you, you buy some advertising on the program, and you can talk oh, about this and and come up with a little cottage industry here. I like that. I like cottage cheese. It, it still reminds me of that casserole Belvita made. Yeah, maybe that's why you're eating. Maybe you know, maybe you need to put a little more back into the nest egg, and you well, wouldn't have fiber. to have dog food Belvita yeah. casseroles. Well, it's good hearing your voice, my friend. Well, thank you, Leonard T. I'll uh, shoot me some stuff on cryptocurrencies, okay? You bet I will. And uh, don't forget... Peace in the Middle East, my friend. All right. See you, Leonard T. We're going to jump out here and uh, go to break and uh, come back in with Ross Ramsey, executive editor of the Texas Tribune. Stick with us. About uh, 90, 60 seconds? 90 seconds, Lauren says. Like Be right back. The gas is
This segment of Other Side is brought to you by Title One, Lubbock's digital real estate and title escrow company. Title One is committed to providing you with the highest level of communication and service from the time of the contract opens until it closes. See how Title One can serve your realty, consumer, and lending needs at TitleOne.com. Ross Ramsey is executive editor of the Texas Tribune. Glad he can join in with us. How are you, Ross? I'm doing fine. Everything's great. Uh, There's t- a primary in a week. I'm I'm in high cotton. Yeah, you know it's never really slowed down after session, did it? You never got a break. No, we never we never got that post session break. It never happened. Yeah. Hmm. So it's you know it, the worst the the best thing that can happen to people in the news business is that there's news though. So I'm not going to complain. Well, and there's plenty of it. This uh, Senate race, Beto O'Rourke is quote stomping Cruz. That's what the headlines say in the last fundraising report. What do you make of that, Ross? Why is Beto outperforming Cruz? I think there are a couple of reasons. You know, he's the only exciting thing really going for the Democrats right now. They've got some races here and there, but he's the the banner race such as it is. He's also running against a guy who ran for president, and when you run for president, you make friends all over the country, and you make enemies all over the country, and O'Rourke has gotten um, some interest from Democrats all over the United States who would like to uh, twist Ted Cruz's nose. Okay, so do you think this is indicative of how the race is going to go? I mean, does fundraising equal victory? No, really in Texas what you're trying to do is you're trying to get enough money together so that voters know who you are. You know, if you start with a bunch of name ID, like if your name, this happened a few years ago when George P. Bush ran for the land commission in Texas, he started with 5 or $6 million worth of built-in name ID. Uh, Beto O'Rourke doesn't do that. Uh, Ted Cruz does. So O'Rourke has to raise enough money to tell people who he is and what he's about to even be in a race with Ted Cruz. And then we can talk about, you know, whether it's a Democrat, uh, a year where it's possible for a Democrat to win, or whether it's, you know, Ted Cruz is safe. Uh, it looks like O'Rourke is going to be able to raise enough money to at least make this a race on paper. So those are that's a general race. Let's talk about primary races. Your latest piece, you talk about hot races across the state. Tell us what you're watching in the primary. You know, there are uh, several races. You know, there are a couple races at the statewide level, which I didn't think, I, you know, I wouldn't have predicted at the beginning of the year, but uh, Sid Miller, the agriculture commissioner, and George P. Bush, the land commissioner, are both in races where, you know, they could get pushed into runoffs. We, we did some polling here with the University of Texas, and the way we ask our poll is in the first round you say, would you vote for Sid Miller or Trey Blocker or Jim Hogan, or haven't you made up your mind? And 60% of the voters, the Republican primary voters, in that first question said, I haven't made up my mind, which is, you know, trouble sign. It's not terrible, but it's trouble sign for an incumbent. Your voters ought to be Mm -hmm. with you. So when we said, you know, well, if you had to vote today, how would you vote? In that question... Miller went over 50%, uh, but just to 54, and, you know, I would call it an uncertain race. Similarly, in the race for land commissioner, George P. Bush, 44% of the people in the Texas Republican primary said they weren't sure who they were going to vote for. Asked who they'd vote for today, 57% said Bush. But, again, that's the kind of numbers that you look at and you go, you know, that could put a guy in a runoff. That's an unusual situation for a top of the ticket, you know, or a, or a statewide Republican in Texas. A bunch of Senate races in, you know, of course, the Kel Seliger race up in the panhandle. 
uh, Mike Cannon from Midland and Victor Leal from Muleshoe. Uh, that's been a tough race. A lot of the, um, the combination of social conservatives and geographical differences have put um, Seliger on the target list for a couple of groups. Uh, he looks pretty good in that race from here, but you never know what's going to happen. We'll know on you know Tuesday night of next week. A couple other Senate races around the state and a number of House races around the state. And then when you get to Congress, there are eight open seats in Texas, which is um, wow. really unusual in a non-redistricting year. The money is sucked up then. Uh, on that yeah, there's a lot of money out there. Uh, tell me, I want to go back to the ag race. I think the wild card there, um, my own view, I, I don't see Jim Hogan running away with that race by any means. But it, so far as starting a, being the key for there being a runoff, um, how is Hogan looking in those numbers? You know, he gets up around twenty percent, which really? is enough to push it into a runoff. You know, if you if you if you push if you mash the numbers around, they're very soft. I mean, if you've got sixty percent of the voters saying in the first question they haven't made up their mind, and you say, well, if you had to, what would you do? That's not exactly the same as here's who I'm going to vote for. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, Jim Hogan, even though hardly anybody knows him, he's been on the statewide ballot before. And that's, you know, that's what people in politics call a good ballot name. It just looks good on a ballot, and if you don't know anything, you might go eeny, meeny, miny, mo and land there. I'll take Hogan. You know, I called him, and, you know, we're trying to set up a, a thing in that race, that ag commissioner race. And I called right. Hogan, and, and he said to me, Ross, no, I'm not interested in race. I'm gonna, I can't give you the exact quote because I don't have it right in front of me, but I wrote it down, and it was something essentially that said, I'm not doing any radio, I'm not doing any TV. If people want to know me, they can read about me in the newspapers. And that was his his whole shtick is, you know, that's a brand that works, and it's worked for me before. And I suppose if you want if you want me on TV or the radio, you'll have to come and tell me is you got to come to Cleburne, and you got to meet my friends and my neighbors and have them tell you about me, and then I'll talk with you on your on your airwaves. He said it worked for him before. He did not get elected. <laughs> well, but he outperformed every Democrat on the ticket, right? He he did pretty well, but <laughs> yeah. he did not get elected. So. Yes. Well, uh, you mentioned these poll numbers. Uh, University of Texas and uh, Texas Tribune do these polls together. And you did a piece on uh, pro-immigration. Texans are pro-immigration with caveats. Why are we pro-immigration and what are those caveats? Uh, You know, Texans are not nearly as um, anti-immigrant as some other places around the country. And, you know, I think a lot of that has to do... You know, this shows up time after time in some of our polls, and I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, we've got more than half the Mexican border in this state, and we have, you know, to a large extent, a different understanding of how these two cultures bang up against each other. And if you ask Texans, you know, we asked a bunch of different questions. We said, um, do you want a wall on the Texas border? Overall, it was 45% support it, 50% oppose it. Republicans are strongly for it. Democrats are strongly against it. But overall, the state's split on that one. Um, when you say, what about this DREAMers program where immigrant children brought over uh, by their parents and raised here, educated here, some of them have served in the military, what if they've gotten high school degrees, they've stayed out of trouble, or they served in the military, should there be a way for them to stay in the country? 
61% of Texans say they would continue that program. Um, 88% of Democrats were for it, and only 8% say it should be ended. Republicans are slightly against it, but not strongly against it. 36% say it should be continued. 51% a majority say it should be ended. 13% don't know. And then when we asked, you know, we were curious about, do you think that the United States admits about the right number of legal immigrants? Um, 42% of Texans said we admit too many, sort of a Goldilocks question. 15% said too few. 30% said it's about right. So you can read that however you want. Either um, 70% said either about right or too many. About 45% said about right or too few. So what do you make then of Cruz, just in analysis, Ted Cruz, being so being so assertive on the dreamers and, and not moving on that? I mean, he must not be guided by polls in, in his stances here. Well, he's not guided by a poll of all Texas voters. He is guided by a poll of Republicans. You know, that's where, you know, 51% ding, is, ding. is skinny. Yep. But um, 51% of Republicans say you should end that program. 36% say you should keep it. That's not real strong, but it's, you know, it's where Ted Cruz has been on those issues, and it's where, um, you know, he as a, as a candidate feels safe on those issues. Hmm. You think that there's going to be a overthrow of the you think a lot of democrats are going to be voting in the republican primary i you know there's always a talk about that and or talk about you know when obama and clinton were running back in 2008 of republicans voting in the democratic primary i think some probably do but i i think most stick to their own primary you know there are a lot of races up and down the ballot where people in both parties are defending incumbents from their parties um you know in House races, Senate races, sheriff races, all kinds of things like that. And I don't know that a lot of um, people are going to switch just to mess with the other party. There are a couple of races here where, you know, one party or the other might want to go over and, and tweak tweak the other party's nose. But I think uh, this doesn't look like a year um, where there's a lot of that going on. Okay, so what do you think is the big story going into the rest of the week? You know, I think it's, you know, certainly the um, early voting, the numbers have been pretty high. It's impossible to tell whether the early voting means that voters are more interested or whether they're just interested early. You can't tell from here whether the people voting early, and the numbers are up all over the state and the big counties, but you can't tell whether the people who are voting early are people who would have voted on Election Day and just thought it was more convenient or whether that means there will be more voters overall. Um, it's just really hard to read, but it is interesting, and I think as we go through Friday of this week when early voting ends and into Tuesday of next week when we get the final votes, that's certainly going to be one of the storylines. Are you a voter, Ross? Uh, not in primaries. Okay. Um, right. I vote all the time, but I don't vote in primaries. But, you know, my view, better for me as a political columnist not to take sides. Wow. Okay. We can have a... That's a long argument. Yeah. Well, probably, that makes, invo- makes perfect involve sense. Some, might involve some drinking. So are you... <laughs> just let me know. Uh, so do you Do you early vote, or do you? are you an election day guy? You know, I like election days, but, you know, early voting is great. If you, you know, if it makes it more convenient, you know, there's something to be said for letting people vote when they want to, for allowing it to be a convenience thing. There's something to be said, I think, also for... 
making a big deal out of it, having a big day where everybody goes and votes, and it's, you know, we don't have the 4th of July for two weeks. Um, you know, I can kind of argue this either way. There are scholars who can argue it either way. I'm not sure expanding early voting um, increases the vote, and I'm not sure that uh, shortening early voting would cut into the vote, but a lot of people have really strong opinions both ways. Hmm. I'm going to think about your theory or your practice of not voting in primaries. I haven't done it, you know, in um, a long, long time, and, you know, uh, sometimes it makes it easier to win an argument. (laughs) There is. Well, he is at Ross Ramsey on Twitter, and you can check him out at texastribune.org. Thank you, Ross. Always a pleasure, man. We'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. I think maybe I will. Maybe I will start doing just the uh, voting generals and not not voting primary. Well, I mean, Ross has to. I mean, let's just face it. In other sides of Texas and not just where we're sitting, mm-hmm. by and large, unless you're like down in the Rio Grande Valley, yeah, it's the Republican primary or nothing. I mean, it's <laughs> that's the way things are going to play out. I mean, I'll vote in the Republican primary. And I have so this is my first year being registered as a Texas voter. So you haven't voted yet? No. Okay. Mm-mm. I haven't. No. For for people just listening, where are you from, little sister? Mississippi. All right. Yeah. Sorry. Where I have. Voted. Don't be sorry. What are you sorry for? You know what you oh, ought to be. Our s- listeners don't know where I'm from. I just talk as if they do, but they don't. What you need to be sorry for is changing out that mascot to a bear or whatever. Oh, I know, I know. The Colonel, what I was know. his name? Colonel what? Colonel Reb. Yeah, Colonel Reb. Yeah, I And know. then you guys Black went with bears. like... bears. But it was almost a Star Wars character. It was almost a lot of things. They're actually changing the mascot again. again. Mm-hmm. They're never going to get it right. No, it's been like a huge political... That was the one that got away. Yeah, it was. I mean, but I can happily say and proudly say that I was a member or a student at Ole Miss when Colonel Reb was our mascot. Okay. So I got to have him for a year. But now you get to vote. Now I get to vote. All right. Even more important. Yeah. But you're, are you going to vote on election day? or? I don't really vote, know. Vote early. I, okay. I, I mean, probably vote early. I guess it'll depend on the convenience. I'm a convenience okay. person. All right. I'm, a, I'm election day all the way. Yeah. Like, I've left this radio show before, this radio station before, on Tuesdays to go vote. I, I just... I don't. I need to think about how I'm going to vote. Well, we can talk about that during the next break. But let's transition over. On the east side of Texas, in between Houston and Dallas, there's a proposed Texas Central Railway, what people call the bullet train. And the bullet train's track is going to be from Houston to Dallas, 240 miles long, 200 feet wide. It takes up 8,000 acres. And it's a parallel to I-45 in between Houston and Dallas. And what they say is that the bullet train will take 90 minutes to get from Dallas to Houston or Houston to Dallas. And is it at present 700,000 people fly annually to and from Houston, mm-hmm. Dallas. But Texas Central Railway says that five between five and, well, they say around five million people will ride this bullet train annually and i don't i don't agree with that so you're gonna go from how do you go from seven to like understand it's it's the new express and and let's go take a ride on it like i would want to do that Mm -hmm. yeah but 
that would be the extent of it, I would think. Well, the, Unless, but well, for those that live down there, obviously it's going to be a big thing. But it, it's supposed to be priced the same as plane tickets, and there is no way. So you got a lot of concerns with this, and it begins to pit urban quote-unquote progress against rural property rights for that track to be installed, uh, for the infrastructure to go in. And then you got other concerns like noise and water, historic properties. Uh, and if there's going to be one or two trains, my understanding is that it's going to be two trains. And if you live, your house is, is outside of what they want to take uh, through, I, I'm assuming it's going to be federal eminent domain, uh, a federal taking of the land. And you got two trains passing at the same time? Look, I've lived in little West Texas towns. And a lot of West Texas towns are built along the old railway mm-hmm. just by virtue. It was, I mean, one, it was a stop on the, on the railway. Well, in Lubbock, but, the train tracks are right there. I mean, toward, going towards no, Post. And, well, like when you live in Slayton, and, you know, I have lived in Slayton, Texas, and I've lived in a little stucco house. And in the middle of the night... You aren't necessarily shaking, but you can hear that train go through town. Now, you got two high-speed rails going 100,000 miles an hour past one another. Um, That's going to create some noise. So there's a guy, and he just happens to be in town today. His name's Drayton McLean. He's the CEO of Texas Central Railway. They've had this underway for three years, but they've only allowed public comments for 75 days. And some of those, there's different sets of public comments, but those are coming to a close. There are people who complain that there was an omission of a feasibility study to the point about 700,000 riders versus 5 million. So where's the feasibility in all of this? How much money is it going to cost? And, you know, without going too far into the issue, the concern is that this thing's going to get built and then it's not going to produce a profit. The people who came in and were responsible for putting it into place have already got their money. They walk away. Then the federal government is going to have to come in and take over operation. But then what are they going to do with the operation? There's only one group of people involved in this situation who know how to operate that train, and that's the Japanese. And Can so I set up you're an going to have. Real quick? about this train thing too you're welcome um, to it okay i'm gonna bring it so the we just had the olympics we so we come in as texans we build this huge train it doesn't ends up not producing it's not used it's just there well a lot of olympic buildings oh. that have been built in the past are completely abandoned 100 oh, percent abandoned i read uh that the train cars that they installed in dc yeah to go around town that's already done. Yeah. And and I can't remember what that number was off the top of my head. I didn't use it for show prep. But uh, it's gone. And so the concern is much like a an empty, great analogy, little sister, like a Olympic venue. But here's the difference. I don't know how many Olympic venues went in with a state taking of land. Yeah. And, and you can't get those tracks back off of ranch land. And so, and then on top of that, the land that they've taken, now you're going to have to have the Japanese oversee it. Now, Americans might be a little, a little more graceful in what they do with that land than Japanese. And my understanding as well is that it's not just the land that they're going to take, but water rights and mineral rights as well. And who do you That's lease that right. to? 
Who do you lease that to? And where are they? What are they doing with all this? Anyhow, Kevin Brady, Houseways and Means, is not happy with this situation on the federal side, and neither are a bunch of rural residents. And uh, coming up, we're going to get into a conversation with Jim and Barbara Miles, who live in the train would go right through their property and they live there in leon county hear them talk a little bit about that issue as well the reason why we want to tell the stories of other sides of texas and give voice to places that need to be heard in texas and and the mileses will certainly have a story to tell now we'll also reach out to the other side and let them talk about why progress is worth it and and what it could mean for texas into the future uh but progress is going to come at the cost of property rights of rural property rights and you know how expensive is that going to get and there well, so we want to tell homes yeah and homes that they've lived in for generations right um but here on the western part of the state in west texas We've got a couple of issues with looking at, speaking of federal taking of land, down on the border, for the wall to go in as an infrastructure, as a barrier, that's going to be a federal taking of land. And how is it going to impact folks? So there's a nice correlation there. But also the extension of I-27, for it to be extended from Lubbock to Laredo, there's going to be taking a land there too. And so this isn't just, uh, in some ways, maybe this situation with the bullet train will set precedent on, it will certainly be a forerunner in the wall and potentially the interstate as it goes down to Laredo, if it goes to Laredo. Right. Whenever you look at, if the federal government comes in on that train, then these other federal projects, these other federal road projects, I mean, you can just hit the 10-year pause on any more progress on those things. And that's going to begin to involve people who are trying to put in other interstate projects throughout the the state. So this has far-reaching consequences politically, but also in the realm of ethics and legality, how this bullet train goes in, and then the politics that play out from that. I don't know... I don't know of a person who deals with, who represents people fighting federal taking of land, but that's going to be a pretty good vocation to be in in the next decade or two in Texas because there are going to be a lot of people who are awfully worked up about those things. And uh, looking forward, again, at the top of the hour, next segment, we'll have Jim and Barbara Miles who are going to talk to us about their place there in Leon County. You know how else you can get from Houston to Dallas? Drive. Yeah. And drive in a real car. Yeah. That was sold by real people at really great prices. And that's what so, my friend uh, Derek Beard. I'm going to make a shift. Yeah. We need to make a shift. That's right. The shift to Derek Beard, uh, who has just started Shift Automotive Group. Uh, Derek's been in the car business for 20 years. He's worked on the pavement and he's installed the accessories and he's financed the deals and now he's got his own dealership the shift automotive group Derek and his team are friends and they are honest brokers especially when the unexpected comes like a wreck like a wreck I had a wreck or yeah, you had uh, a wreck. I flooded my car see 
You These never things know. happen. You need a car guy when those things happen. Right. Derek and his crew are a rarity in the car business. Real cars for real people at really great prices. Check them out just outside the loop on 58th Street. There at Shift Automotive Group. You can go to shiftlubbock.com. So we're going to set you up with a break. Get back in about 60 seconds. And uh, we'll get old uh, Jim and Barbara Miles on the phone talking speed bullet trains right here on the other side. I met a His class voted him most likely to run with scissors. Welcome back to the other side with Jay Leeson. I worked the rigs from three to midnight. On the Corpus Christi Bay I'd get off and drink till daylight Hey, welcome back in to the West Texas Accessory Depot studios. Go see those folks at Accessory Depot at 82nd and Valencia and Lubbock for all your car or truck accessory needs. You can also check them out online. They can mail to you wtaccessorydepot.com well, we want to give the opportunity for rural voices to be heard. We have a couple of voices for you to hear. They are Jim and Barbara Miles calling us from Leon County, right there in between Dallas and Houston. How are you, Mileses? Fine. Thank you, Jay. Uh, tell us, where, about how far are you north of Houston? Uh, we're about 130 miles north of Houston, about 130 miles south of Dallas. So okay. Almost right in between. A little Sm- closer to, to Dallas, but not much. Yeah, so you sent me some pictures, and we'll put them up on the website of your of your place there. But tell us, when did you become aware of all of this? Early 2015, late 2014, um, and it was already something that was you know creeping up our way. But uh, word just got around from you know neighbors saying that they'd heard talk about it. I think some um, survey forms had been discussed, you know, in counties below us. At one time, they were considering going through Montgomery County, where Conroe is located, uh, and so, you know, word just kind of spread about it. Nobody really had any information, you know, much on what the project involved, but, you know, word of mouth just caused interest, and then, you know, interest caused uh, investigation, so that's how we okay. found out about it. So, if word of mouth wouldn't have spread then surely surveyors showing up would have clued you in tell us about what kind of visits you've gotten to your property well we weren't visited by surveyors until later than a lot of people were and i think that's because they had altered the route some to the south of us uh but when we were contacted it was by a woman who who uh was sort of covering this area um so she had already been you know identified to us and she she'd made the rounds to to businesses and things like that to, to, to sort of get familiar with the area, but um, the first time we ever met with her was at a community meeting that was held in town, uh, and it was a sort of get-to-know-about-this-project type thing, and so there were a lot of Texas Central Railroad um, personnel in place as well as, you know, some of their contractors, the landmen and all of that, and there was one particular woman who was uh, who was assigned to our area, who'd become quite chummy with uh, a neighbor of ours who had actually uh, fallen in line with the project, and she was sort of using that woman to, you know, to get through to us. But, you know, she had big hair, big big smile, and, you know, wanted to laud the praises of the project to us, and 
we told her immediately that you know we had no interest in it. How bad would that job be, by the way? I know. I mean, you got you got to kidding. go into small towns. Well, they do work on commissions, so they have many different approaches that they use. If it if uh, you know honey doesn't get it, then they get a little nastier, you know, and they're and more aggressive in their approach. So. Now, this sign that's up in the Houston Chronicle piece uh, that you all are quoted in, uh, no trespassing, violators will be shot, survivors will be shot again. Is that at your house? <laughs> no, that, that sign is not at our house, but okay. that's pretty much the sentiment. I mean, um, you know, we were we told uh, this woman in no uncertain terms that we weren't interested in her leaving cards, you know, leaving notes on, in the mailbox. Uh, leaving anything on our fence, uh, calling us. We were not interested in what they had to say, what their offers were, and, uh, you know, they, they were pretty they were pretty persistent. But, you know, we made it clear to them that uh, by putting the purple ribbons around our fence, that that was a universal sign of, you know, no trespassing, and that, uh, you know, the, the law would be called or worse if we found somebody... You know, on our private property. Purple ribbons, is that what you all have taken up? A lot of you and your neighbors have taken well, up to say we're not interested in selling? Is that what that ribbon means? Yeah, I mean, that's not something that we that we as an organization adopted. That's, that is a, that's just a sign that is recognized that a purple ribbon on a fence means no trespassing. I mean, that's not a new thing. Okay. Jim, are you there? Yes, sir, I'm okay, here. Okay, good. I wanted to make sure that you were there. I, c- I couldn't. I couldn't hear you. I, I want to, I want to be clear to listeners that we're not bringing in any formal organizations at this point. I know that you, you all. I've read you and then heard about you, and so I decided to reach out to you. I think it's better for listeners to get a an organic from the ground before we start hearing canned messages and that's not to be disrespectful to either side of the issue but we want to hear these stories before we get into the issue from both sides of it so jim tell us a little bit about the property how many acres and how long have you had it how many owners have there been well my wife can tell you exactly the time time limit and everything i think she said you the time limit and everything we've owned this property but we've had it since about i've been running this ranch since about 2000 the year 2000, and uh, and I was helping the older man that owned the property, and he was sort of like a daddy to me, because my daddy died awful young when I was awful young, and so he was sort of like a daddy, and she was like, sort of like a mama to me, and we, we uh, when they passed away, well, she passed away, she gave me the ranch at Bandera, and then when he passed away, he gave me the ranch here, Barbara and I here, the, the ranch here in, in Leon County. What's the name and, of the ranch? It'll do. It'll do. It'll do ranch. It'll do ranch. So and we've got. It sounds like it won't do though. <laughs> well, uh, the whole thing about it is, it's a cattle ranch, and and I have a right at two hundred mama cows. I also raise bulls and sell Angus Plus bulls. So it's a it's a paying operation. Even though I'm seventy eight years old, I still work every day. How do you think those bulls are going to take high speed trains coming through there? Well, they're not gonna like it because they're they're awful, they're awful quiet and and uh, and this area here is a pretty quiet area. We don't have uh, other than uh, trucks going down the highway, the county road here. We don't have any any transportation problems or anything like that. We don't have any noise. Uh, everything's pretty quiet and pretty calm. And and uh, and and I as I as I stated, my cattle are are our living really. Hmm. Uh, it's what we 
we rely on to make money. Uh, and uh, even though it's 78 years old, I still work and I and I and I run this ranch by myself. I don't have any help. I hire some help every once in a while, but most of the time I do everything myself. And Barbara helps me when I need help, and that's the way we run it. You know. Tell us. Uh, tell me again. How many acres? Well, we got anywhere right around 800. Okay. So how many how many miles wide is your property? Well, it's three and a half miles from the. From one side of the, I own both sides of a county road in front of our house, and then I go all the way to the county road on the next, the, the, on the back side where they're trying to put this train in. So from one corner to it to the other corner, it's about three and a half miles long. Okay, three and a half miles. So what I've read is that it's going to be about 200 feet wide, what, what they're asking for here. 240 miles, 200 feet wide. Is it just 200 feet wide? No, it's not going to be just 200 feet wide. That's just that. That's just for the track. That doesn't count the fence. That doesn't count the maintenance right-of-ways on either side, and that doesn't count the extra property they can condemn on either side of it for maintenance, for retention ponds, uh, for um, uh, stockpiling rock, for all kinds of you know uh, their their own particular uses. So, what does it go to once you add in all of those attributes? You mean how, how much of our property is taken? Yeah, how, how wide all is it, it at that point? Yes, pretty much be all of it. So it'll go three and a half miles. Well, close to it, where the where the where the uh, route is now is, you know, is on the what west west, west side west, right. west side of the property. So it would take most all of the eastern side. So it's going to just do away. It'll it won't do ranch at that point. I mean, it, it's, it'll, it'll be what, a no do ranch. Yeah, correct. no do ranch. Wow. Because it wouldn't just be your house at that point; it's the entire ranch. Well, this thing is is from from the from where you looked at the picture uh, behind behind where she took the picture is our house, and it's across a brush uh, creek called Brushy Creek, which creek, which is one of the biggest creeks in the area, and we've got all kind of wildlife, ducks, geese coming in in the winter time. We've got you know a deer out here just galore. Uh, we don't. We're naturalists. We don't believe in, in killing these animals just to be killing them and, and hauling them off, you know. And so we've got all this area between us and the, and where this train's supposed to be going, and it's going to go right behind our house, which is about, oh, I'd say uh, two football fields. So tell me, are they going to let you keep the mineral and water rights, or do no, they sir. take that no, as well? They, they, that's part of the deal is that you have to give up your mineral rights and your, and your water rights on the property when they take it. I mean, that's what they're, they're offering to do uh, whenever they give you this uh, uh, option, contract. option contract. That's within the, uh, that's within the term, that's their terms within the contract, and that's non-negotiable. Hmm. I don't want to get into specifics, but have you been offered anything close to what you feel like your property well, with all rights considered? Uh, you know, the, the option contracts will offer you what, you know, many people see as as uh, certainly more than what your per acre value would be if you want to sell your entire place, but they don't take into consideration that what property remains is going to be devalued by 90%. And hmm. so, you know, the, the money that they're offering for the immediate acreage they're going to take doesn't take that into consideration. It doesn't take into consideration the fact that we'd have to sell our cattle at a loss because there'd be, you know, no way to, to continue to run the ranch here. And um, 
if they took the two miles, you know, in some instances you might say, well, you could relocate. If your place is that big, well, you could build you could build a new home across the road or you could build it down the way. It, it's going to pretty much wipe out, every, you know, all of this property. So there would be no good place to rebuild, you know, our home. So it doesn't count that and the emotional toil it takes of being ousted from your own private property. Hmm. It's a project that is not going to serve the public good. If this was, if we live somewhere where um, we, we, uh, our property is lies between two state highways, State Highway 7 and State Highway 79, get, they both get a lot of traffic, and they both go a great distance over into East Texas and, and 79 even over into Louisiana. If they had to widen that, I, I, I wouldn't be happy with having to give up some of my property to see that happen. But you can certainly see the need for that, and that would be something that would be utilized by everyone, and it wouldn't be a per-pay, for-profit type of project the way this one is going to be. So it and is set up. Let me let me set up this part of the conversation for people who are just joining us. We're talking with Jim and Barbara Miles, and they are in Leon County, about halfway in between Houston and Dallas, bullet train going in and being proposed that would go right through their property uh there are certainly many others who are in the same position that they are right now it is a private group that has put this together is texas central railway uh, by the way this is just coincidence but we're broadcasting for lubbock texas right now drayton mclean speaking an event in lubbock texas this evening but it is a private company that's putting all this together. So let's talk about one thing that I see that doesn't make sense, and, and help me if I'm missing it, but right now it's estimated that 700,000 people a year fly Dallas to Houston. But somehow Texas Central Railway believes that they can get 5 million passengers per year? <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, at a cost of three times of what it costs to fly southwest, you know, from Houston to Dallas. So that said... Well, I don't, I don't even know what to really... What that says to me is that it may not be feasible. Has there been a feasibility study? There's been an environmental impact study done, but what they what they have never disclosed, which, which uh, a group of us have sued them to disclose, is their ridership projection. Even the failed high-speed rail project in Florida included ridership projections in their environmental impact study. This one does not have it. And they will not release that information. Because they're now, private. Now, so certain uh, that this is going to be something that's going to warrant having multiple trains run both ways multiple times a day, then what's the big secret? So they won't disclose. So the, then you begin not... Then a lot more people begin to get concerned, I would think, because... Yeah. They uh, should. Because who, who's going to have to take that over should the project fail? Exactly. That's absolutely right. So uh, all of a sudden, in Lubbock County, we're paying for this high-speed rail down your way. Yes, right, exactly. Everyone in the state of Texas is going to to feel the effects of this if eminent domain is given to them. Right now, thankfully, we've got a lot of legislation in place that is not allowing taxpayers to be held responsible for this and that there is not... uh, state money being given to the project, um, but they are constantly looking for ways that they can make what they call a you know, public-private partnership, so they will tell you that they are not, uh, that this is not going to be taxpayer-funded, uh, and that's, and that, 
you know, uh, their, their big message that this is private, yet they have made many attempts to get funding at the state and at the federal level. So, and when this goes through, uh, the, the maintenance of it will fall to the county, not the state, but the county. You say when so, this goes through, and this, those are all points to consider, mm-hmm. but I, I've heard you a couple of times talk with certitude like this is going to happen. Do you believe that this is really going to happen? Oh, no. Oh, no. no, we don't okay. believe this is going to happen. I'm just saying that, it, that this, is, this is how they foresee it. And, I mean, that's a lot of what was revealed in the draft environmental impact statement is people assume that a project like this means that once it is put in that it's going to be maintained by Texas Central Railway, and it is not. It is going to be maintained by every county that it passes through. So roads that are going to be closed and private roads that, you know, that will be closed if the project were to go through, that's going to be up to the county and the county taxpayers to try and reroute traffic for emergency services, for school buses, for mail service, uh, FedEx, anything like that. Yeah, that will it, all be on the county shoulders. Is this assuming that the project fails? That the county would then have responsibility, no, oh no. or that's how no, things well, are yeah. now. I mean, it, it depends on what stage it does fail. I mean, if you consider that, uh, like Ellis County with the super collider disaster, um, and and how people were left there, then yes, if they get to the if they get midway through the project and roads are closed and you know services have to be rerouted, people sell their places out and all of that, and the project does not go through to fruition then yes, the county will still be responsible for any damages that are left behind. Uh, this Florida bullet train that you mentioned, Barbara, is it still operating? It's never operated. <laughs> just like, just it's like, like California. It's a perpetual money pit, and that's what's going to happen with this, and if it ever happens. But, you know, Jay, we have always suspicion that this is beyond high-speed rail, but this has to do with a land grab for whatever project comes down the line, more importantly, to get eminent domain authority for private projects, which is a very, very dangerous thing. Tell us what the difference is, Barbara and Jim Miles speaking with us here on the other side of Texas. Uh, What is the difference between a state taking an eminent domain and federal taking? Well, right now the state of Texas has no clear stand evidently on eminent domain there's never been uh, a private project that has been awarded it but there's never been any clear legislation that says it will absolutely never happen and so you know of course this is a project that's never there's never been anything like it in the state so it, you know it, it's very likely a test case if you will so that's why we're watching this very closely because as disastrous as this project would be the project itself what's even more disastrous would be the the precedent it would set uh, by allowing a private project to get eminent domain authority, which right now it's only given to, you know, public utility. Um, and one of the things the Texas Central Railroad wants to say is that they are a public utility, they're a railroad, but then they want to tell you they're not public, they're a private company. Yeah, they won't give you uh, the feasibility. Def- and they're, def- Jay, they're definitely not a railroad. They're not a railroad. They have not one single car, not one piece of track. They still won't definitely say uh, that this is the, this is the definitive route, though we know that it is. Um, and they've just now named locations for station. There's stations. There's not been any, you know, uh, clearing of the stations. They, they've you know named where the site is going to be. Um, but 
and this is all going to be built overseas. Their biggest investor is a Japanese bank. And so all of the track, all of the cars, all of those materials will be Japanese. They will be sent back over here, but that's where the construction will take place. Not in Texas. This is not a Texas project. Okay. So speaking to us from the It'll Do Ranch, let me ask you this, Barbara. Would you, if, if there are urbanites listening... And I don't mean that in a negative connotation, but if people who are in urban centers in Dallas and Houston, if they're listening to this or they listen to the podcast afterwards, and they're thinking, wow, this is a great way for me to just, dart, you know, Texas A&M students who are from Dallas, like I can just shoot right back up or I can shoot down or I can go see my, my aunt and my nieces and nephews and brothers and sisters. This will be a great thing and I can just get there in a little under an hour and a half. What would you say to them? Well, originally this project was marketed to them to try to alleviate the congestion that exists in Houston proper and in Dallas proper. Um, And it's not going to do that. Uh, They're going to have to go all the way across town in order to drive to the station all the way across town before they pick up the train, which will then head north, and then they return to the station and will have to fight traffic all the way back to their home. So this will do nothing for that. This will do nothing to alleviate the traffic that they're now experiencing in Houston proper and in Dallas proper. So, so it turns out to be maybe a three- or four-hour trip. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, you know, they'd be better off to continue commuting the way they are or, you know, uh, uh, pressure their councilmen and their congressional representatives to do something about the intra-traffic that's in those cities. Jim, you this look is at not going to do that, and it's going to be too expensive for anyone to ride with any regularity. Uh, Jim, you go out and you look at your place, and you know how it turns, you know how it works. The animals have figured it out, but you look at the contours of your land and look at the history under your feet uh, and think about it. What would you tell if you had a an urban fella come walk your land with you? What would you tell them about this train? Well, first of all, I'd ask him, uh, how much money have you got? Cause, because of the cost of riding the train from Houston to Dallas, it's, say, $200 a trip. That's $400 a round trip. Most people can't afford that. The average Joe that lives in Houston won't ride this thing to Dallas. They could get, they could take a car and drive to Dallas for, for $100, you know, fuel. It takes them a little longer to do it, but they can ride, you know. And and then they, when they get there, they go where they want to go. They don't have to worry about hiring a cab or whatever it takes to get them to where they're going. And I would tell them, first of all, the, the, the smart thing to do is to try to figure out where, where this is going to be paid for, how it's going to be paid for, and who's going to pay for it. And if it falls on its nose, the taxpayers are going to be paying for it, not the, the train people uh, and and I, I don't have that kind of you know uh, 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 wishes for these people myself because I mean uh, they're disturbing my life and I'm an old older person and I, and I ain't got too many more years here on this earth but I want to live it on this place I don't want to be disturbed and moved off and and I don't think they want to do the same thing to their place wherever they're at even if it's just a house in Houston or a house in Dallas I mean, when you when you live on a place for a long time, you kind of get to where that that's your life, you know. 
And this is my life here on this ranch. And I don't want it disturbed. Barbara, back to you. I mentioned that Drayton McLean is in Lubbock right now. If if you had the opportunity to speak one-on-one with him, or the two of you were able to speak with Mr. McLean, what would you tell him? Well, actually, Jim was at, uh, there was a round of uh, uh, public comment meetings in response to the draft EIS uh, when it was released, and uh, I wrote, a, I wasn't able to attend, I attended two of the meetings, Jim attended several of them, one of them being in Grimes County, and um, I sent him with a piece that I wrote, because you could, you know, publicly comment for three minutes, entitled, Drayton McLean is a Liar, uh, because many of the things that he has said publicly, um, in the same way that Bob Eccles, who was originally the face of this project, uh, spat it off and said, um, that it was going to be fun, uh, a fun project. I, I don't consider being ousted from the home that I plan to live in the rest of my life fun. Um, but it's just going to make a swishing noise. Uh, it's going to do more than that. It's going to drive the, the wildlife population completely out of Leon County. Um, that it wasn't going to, uh, the taxpayers weren't going to pick up the bill. We know that that's not the truth. There's never, there's no private project, no, no private concern could possibly pick up the tab for this. I mean, they don't even have 1% of the funding they need yet, and they've been trying to do this for uh, six, eight years. So, I mean, we know that's a lie as well. So he can smile and say that all he wants to, but I'd like them to rewrite it through Temple and see how he likes it coming up through his backyard, because I don't imagine that he would. Hmm. It won't do. It won't do ranch. The it'll do will do what what we have to do to see that this project does not go through. I do want to clarify that I became aware, we have a Monday show, and I became aware of deadlines coming up on public comments. Wanted to give you all the opportunity to be heard by an, by an even wider audience. And again, this will all be up on uh, our iTunes podcast, Other Side of Texas. And just fell on this date. This was a good date to do it, so we did it. Tell us uh, any, anything else that you want to get off your well, chest for me. I've you got go. one more thing I need to, need to tell you about. All right. We've got a school here over on the Highway 79. It's, uh, it's got about a 1,000 students in it. It's called the Leon County School. And uh, this thing is going to be less than a quarter of a mile from the school. Hmm. At 205 miles an hour. Wow. And, and elevated. And, and you, you think about the, the, the danger and everything with the kids and everything in that school and all the noise and everything that it's going to cause and these kids are going to be standing there trying to study, and they're going to hear this swoosh go by, and they're going to look, you know. It's going to be, uh, it's going to disturb that school big time. What kind of railroad crossing do they put up? I'm just thinking about this off the top of my head. Like, do you, is there like a wall that comes up and down to make sure that nobody gets in? How, how can you <laughs> uh, do the depth of speed fence. at 200 miles an hour? Uh, yeah, you know, we have a feral hog problem here. Um, <laughs> and uh, one, of the, one of the things we said, you know, right off was, uh, you know, the kind of damage. And, and, you know, their reply was, it's going to be going 205 miles an hour. Nothing's going to bother it. They haven't seen the size of hogs that we have here, or deer, or, or birds even. I mean, birds can, you know, take out a windshield of a, of a jet airplane. Um, and so they've got, uh, uh, in their nice little mock-ups and everything, a, what, a glorified cyclone fence is, is really all that it is. They've not taken any of the safety concerns we have seriously 
whether it's about the operation of the train or actually being a passenger on the train and the, the fear of terrorist attacks, things like that, that are, that are a reality now. They've actually happened on high-speed rail. Uh, but, you know, anything that slows down um, the, the uh, trip it makes from Houston to Dallas defeats the purpose. So they have said on the record that they are not going to have the kinds of security checks that they do at airports. Well, Barbara and Jim, thanks for coming on. They're from the It'll Do Ranch, and we'll be following this story closely. Uh, we will put this up and uh, look forward to following this. Uh, and hopefully uh, it won't become the no-do ranch. Okay. Well, thank you, Jay, for taking yeah, the time to we, listen to rural Texans and, and to you know make it known to people that this place right here is priceless to us. No amount of money can buy it. And the idea that they want to pay you off and say, you know, now you're free, you can do what you want, go where you want, we don't want to be anywhere else but right here. Thanks for coming on. Yes, sir. Thank Appreciate you, sir. it, man. Bye-bye. Right. Appreciate it. Bye-bye. Wow. No do, it'll do. There's a lot to break down there. We're going to take a quick break, be back in about a minute, and get in with our Flint boot and hat segment. I think you'll enjoy it. Stay right where you are. Johnny can't drink because Johnny ain't 21. Yeah, but he's 18 and he's pretty handy with a gun. Welcome back in. This segment's brought to you by my friends there at Flinton Boot and Hat Shop. Building hats since 1994, repairing boots since forever. Jared and his guys can help you make your hat great or your boots great again. They're right there at Flint Avenue. That's why it's called Flint Boot and Hat Shop at 34th and Flint, flinthat.com. A couple of things to get into some news from across the state that I found to be of interest. You know, when I can remember whenever I was younger, uh, just around the time I was a senior, there's a terrible story of a man, an African-American man named James Bird, uh, who was chained to the back of a pickup and he was drugged uh, to his death. Yeah, that was in 1998. Wow. A 24-year-old at that time, John William King, was found guilty. And according to the AP, King has been a prisoner on Texas death row for nearly two decades, and he has lost his federal court appeal, moving him a step closer to execution for the hate crime. The Fifth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals last week turned down an appeal from King condemned for the 1998 slaying of James Bird. Evidence showed the 49-year-old Bird was chained by his ankles to the back of a pickup and dragged along a road outside Jasper in East Texas. Prosecutors said Bird was killed simply because he was black. Attorneys for King argued his trial lawyers were deficient. The the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals disagreed. One of the two other white men convicted has been executed. The third is serving a life sentence. That's all these years, these things happen and you just forget about them and then they come right back. And uh, man, 
I just can't imagine being a part of that family where you've tried to put this behind, tried to put behind, and justice is still lingering over those who've done the wrongdoing, have killed James Byrd, and now you're a step closer to watching another one of them. I assume that they'll be there to witness his yeah. death. So I, that was notable to me because I thought, man, that happened whenever I was a kid. And That's uh, crazy. That, that whole that story blows my mind. Um, lighten things up just a little bit. No course for a horse is the headline. Man rides onto California freeway. But they missed a very important word in that headline. Intoxicated man rides onto huh. California freeway. <laughs> this again, the AP. Authorities say a drunken man rode his horse onto a California freeway. Los Angeles news station KABC-TV reports that the California Highway Patrol stopped the man early Saturday. And by early Saturday, I'm assuming they meant about like about 2.05 a.m. <laughs> after the bar closed. Stopped the man on State Route 91 in Long Beach. Officers administered field sobriety tests, which registered blood alcohol levels of 0.21%, more than double the legal limit. The man was arrested and booked for riding a horse while under the influence. Is there a law? I had no, I didn't think. There well, was it a is law California. Yeah, exactly. So there probably is a law. But somewhere in Texas, there. I'm sure you can ride your horse. My, the white horse Guerra wasn't hurt and was released to the man's mother. The California Highway Patrol offered a message to the public on Twitter, quote, no, you may not ride your horse on the freeway and certainly not while intoxicated. We need to effort and figure out if uh, that's really a thing. Let's if, see. I'm going to look it, it up right now. Is it against the law in Texas to ride your horse drunk, even on, like, the shoulder of a county road? All right, let's look it up. Okay, you look that up. I'll go to another story. You know, whenever you drive through Amarillo sometimes, you just blush whenever you're on the highway headed north. Like, did you go through Amarillo whenever you went to Denver? Yeah. Uh -huh. Okay. I mean, you've got to, like, I want to put my hand. I don't understand how they do this all this time up there in the panhandle, driving through Amarillo on I-27, and then even on to 40 going east and west. Because there are all the sex shop signs. Oh my gosh, I right? didn't even notice. Oh my god, <laughs> they are. What do you mean you didn't know? They are everywhere. I just you're didn't just, pay any attention. You just blush while you're driving. You're like, holy cow, how's this a thing? And I guess it it's, is illegal. Yeah, it's illegal here to ride a horse. Drunk. And in 2011, a guy was arrested, DWI on a horse outside of Beltway. So you are technically driving. Yeah. Wow. Outside of Beltway, Texas. Mm-hmm. Wow. What are you in for? <laughs> yeah, no kidding. I was uh, drunk on my horse. <laughs> I mean, how many guys have said that? I don't know. In? Only, I, I mean, I'd like to say only in Texas, but apparently in California, too. Hey, freedom, baby. Liberty. So, blush whenever you drive through Amarillo. Because yeah. you're just like, holy cow, is this really happening? And some of them are, if you can use pious and sex shop in the same way, term but it's veiled references sometimes mm -hmm. other times not veiled at all largest adult bookstore wow. in the world and da, da, da. so you just oh man it gets pretty stressful now that my kids are old enough to read and observe right they hey daddy what's yeah nothing um. it's nothing but amarilla <laughs> has finally stood up not not to bulletin boards but to that profession 
that bulletin boards are promoting. Uh, headline, this is from our friend Robert Stein up at the Amarillo Globe News. Potter County Commissioners deny application for sex business near city. Potter County Commissioners voted unanimously to deny an application for an adult entertainment store to operate east of Amarillo. John Kenneth Coyle, president of East Bay Incorporated, applied for a sexually oriented business license for Zone Day Erotica. Weird. Just outside the city limits. The store's manager, David Meza, never met David, don't know how to say his last name, said that the business switched to operating as a lingerie store. (laughs) It's just a lingerie store. Not a sexually oriented business. After its license expired more than a year ago. He said the store ceased selling videos, DVDs, magazines, and stopped operating as a movie theater and private viewing booths. Meza said the store was operating unsuccessfully as a lingerie store, you don't say, and was seeking to change back. Quote, we're launching the adult business that we used to have, but the commissioner said no dice because it's within a thousand feet of a residential property. In violation of their rules, Judge Nancy Tanner said she disliked sexually oriented businesses in the county as opposed to liking them. Yeah. <laughs> like Howard Stern is the county commissioner. It's like, bring them on, baby. <laughs> because whenever you look at the billboards, it doesn't seem like that big of a problem. But Judge Tanner, quote, could not be happier. The county investigated the home in question and found out it was clearly a residence and inside of the 1,000-foot buffer zone. I think they will probably fight it and take it to court, the judge said, and I think we're ready for that too. Previously in January 2017, the store tried to renew its one-year license after it had expired. Commissioners denied it, saying the renewal happened too late and an application for a new license was needed. Zone de Erotica was first approved for a license to operate in Potter County in 2007, according to the Globe News files. So they got it shut down, the uh, Zone Day Erotica. Golly. <laughs> you know, in, Miss, in, in Jackson, there's signs like that. Jackson, Mississippi. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a heavy concentration there. And uh, I'm assuming, what, Jackson sits on 55? Mm-hmm. Well, 55 and 20 and yeah. 25. Three okay, so they all go through there. Yeah. So that's booming business there for, I mean, you can always blame it on, quote, unquote, the truckers. Yeah, well, exactly. It's the just the truckers. truckers. Yeah, you know. It's the truckers' fault. <laughs> yeah, like, they just have to stop. Is it the truckers' <laughs> fault? Uh, because it's still there. Zone day erotica. I'm going <laughs> to... I'll start calling my house Zone Day Crazy at 6 a.m. in the mornings. Uh, we're going to get on with Blue Collar Bill here in a little bit. He's got some things to say about a corporate takeover. And, you know, Blue Collar guys don't like corporate takeovers. They're going to have a couple of things to say about it. Uh, before we get in with Blue Collar Bill, I want to tell you that there's a bank that I can always remember being a part of Lubbock. and one that has stood on Hub City Street Corners for as long as I can remember, and that's American Bank of Commerce. The old adage is that you got a church on every corner in Abilene, but you got a bank on every corner in Lubbock. But there's one in particular that stood that I know of. Uh, They've been providing top-notch service and loyalty since 1962, and whenever I decided to start this venture, this Other Side of Texas, othersideoftexas.com, along with the video and the radio stuff that we do, 
I went with ABC Bank for our banking needs, and, and I call them about every week, and I get great service, and I'm glad to be doing business with them. Hope you can do what we did here at the other side of Texas. Check them out, theabcbank.com. That's theabcbank.com, 1-888-902-2552. That's 888-902-2552. Going to go away for about a minute, come back in, Blue Collar Bill. Fifteen and out of control. Lost to James Dean and rock and roll. I knew down deep in molded out of red clay and baked in the West Texas sun to perfection is the other side of Texas with Jay Leeson. Adios, goodbye, amigos. I am. Go out to the phone lines, the weekly blue-collar Bill report. Tell us something, Bill. We just got in from this other segment. I mean, you know a lot about 18-wheelers. You've driven them. What's the deal with this conglomeration of adult shops on big trucker byways and highways? Man, I really never did understand that. I I guess they have some kind of demographic uh, data that says trucker like corn. I guess that's one way of saying it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's all it could be. I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not a participant, so I surely I don't understand that industry. No. Well, uh, let's move over. What have you been thinking about this? What's got your blue-collar ire? Well, I'm a little bit sad today, and the, the reason being is, is I kind of lost a friend. Uh, they, they didn't die, but, well, they kind of might as well have. Uh, I asked friends that, uh... What happened, Bill? Well, well can, I, can I say names? No, yeah, I mean, it's okay. fine, it's your friend. Well, we'll keep it on the down low. Uh, I have some friends that work for a, a, a string of, of filling stations or convenience stores mm-hmm. where, where we fill up our vehicles. Uh, we your, big rig. Rig. your big rig yeah. or your personal vehicles? Well, all of them. Big okay. rigs and personal vehicles. So you're in there quite a bit. Oh, yeah. We spend about 10, 11 grand a month there. So a yeah. uh, couple of months ago, we found out this business was going to sell. Uh, the, the, the principal owner had passed away. His kids weren't really interested in running it. Uh, so they decided they were going to bundle it together and sell it to a, a, a big chain. Well, okay, that's that's all good and well, and and I can see doing that. But the part that upset me about this whole deal is, as this deal transpires, this starts looking worse and worse as the day for the change overcome. And I start getting nervous for these people. Uh, I do a little because you're worried, you're worried about the working man. Yeah, I'm worried about the working man. You know, it, it just it's something about it didn't sit quite right with me. Okay. So I went and I researched this big chain, and I started digging into them, and then I found out that this big chain that is coming in here and buying these convenience stores is actually owned by a private equity firm out of Massachusetts. Bill, I mean, this is a big deal that you're spending your own time online finding out the background of convenience stores. I mean, this person must have really meant something to you. Well, they did. These, these gals that have been working here 
one of them's been there over 25 years. Uh, she's an older lady, uh, single, uh, in poor health. Another one has been there over 40 years. Again, single. Again, has health issues uh, that that uh, will will definitely make it very difficult for her to find insurance uh, anywhere else. So she has stayed with this job because she knew she had a bird's nest on the ground. She had a good job. She had benefits. She was in with her insurance company. And so she was going to let it roll right on to retirement. Mm-hmm. Well, the private equity firm uh, that is comprised of a bunch of billionaires, they send in their uh, their uh, subsidiary uh, convenience store company, Day One. These guys haven't even switched the signs. Day One, this company comes in, tells these gals, uh, you're no longer full-time employees. First of the month, you won't get over 26 hours. So they cut their hours and their pay by 35% day one. Then told them they won't any longer have any health insurance, dental insurance, vision, 401k, anything. Nothing. They you know, the Supreme Court says that corporations are people, too. Yeah. Uh, it, I don't know. It, it, just, it just seemed wrong to me, you know, that these, these guys, these, these, these ladies, had poured between two and three and four decades of their life into hmm. this business. You know, put, put, putting dinner on the table, not only for themselves, but for, for the owners of this business. And, you know, when smoke clears, they were, they just had their, their, their throats cut and were left to bleed out. Who's going to make it on 26 hours a week with no insurance and no benefit? I just, I, I, I really think, that business owners, including myself, and I've always tried to pay people a living wage. If you came to me as an 18-year-old, wide-eyed kid who didn't know squat and could barely wipe his own butt, I didn't pay you any less than $10 an hour. And you got benefits, and you got 401k, and you got vacation, and you were paid a living wage, and you were moved up from there. But I just wish people would, would give some thought to their actions and how your actions affect other people. And I, my, my thoughts are, I don't think these guys cut these people's benefits and cut their wages and cut their hours so they wouldn't have to pay benefits so they stack more money to the bottom line. That's all good and well. But when you're already a billionaire investor, how much more do you need? And do you really need to obtain it by taking it from an old woman who has nothing that's some blue collar conviction, Bill. It just ain't right. I, I hear you, man. I, I tend to think that, you know, you're going to sow the wind like that. You're going to reap a whirlwind. And businesses, businesses I know of that are the most successful, especially local businesses, are the ones that put the capital towards their people, retain their people, and build their business from there. And it sounds like that's what the previous model was. With this that, that's what the previous model was: was take care of the biz, uh, take care of our customers, and our customers will take care of our business. Yeah. Hmm. And that that business prints money for forty years. They didn't need to cut those people's salaries and benefits to shore up the business to bring it back into the black. The business was already printing cash. So I think I know the answer to this, but I assume that you're going to start going to another place to fuel your vehicles. Yeah. Yeah. I. I. I, I I, I would prefer to do business local or at least with a, a state-based organization, and there is a huge organization. It has a massive presence here. It is based out of Corpus Christi, Texas, 
and uh, they pay their people a living wage and, 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 and provide them the, uh, the basic benefits that allow them to stay healthy and upright and functional so they can continue to work. And those are the kind of people I want to do business with, not a bunch of billionaire investors out of Massachusetts who are only down here to shake down everybody they meet. Good call, Bill. Thanks for the update. Living wage. Oh. Blue-collar bill going off on a living wage. We appreciate you, buddy. Thanks, sir. Wow. See? Some some populist indignation there. Yeah. I mean, it wouldn't be a good good week of Other Side of Texas if we didn't go through living wage. So, uh, all this show here, all this show, will be up on iTunes in all of its glory. I do want to throw out, uh, you can go to othersideoftexas.com, subscribe, and uh, you'll get this show delivered to your inbox there, othersideoftexas.com. So, until next time, only death will end my love affair with the other side of Texas. We'll see you next time, right here at AM 580. Smile, it's gonna be okay. Jason White Dentistry, the West Texas way. Smile and time is how it's done. Treat you like you're the only one Your peace of mind is our state of mind We wanna get to know you one smile at a time Smile, it's gonna be okay Jason White Dentistry, the West Texas way